In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In his epistle to the Ephesians, St. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. He goes on, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Here, in Ephesians from St. Paul is a description of what the love between Christian parents and children ought to look like. Children are to love their father and their mother. Why? Because the ordering of the household with children subordinate to their parents is a picture of the Christian's relationship to God. We want our children to fear the Lord and to submit to him. And we teach them that by teaching them submission to us. And by the same token, St. Paul gives admonition to fathers as well. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Rather, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. By patience from his father, the child learns to expect long-suffering and forgiveness from his father even as his father administers discipline. And so, from his earthly father, the child also learns to expect patience, long-suffering, and forgiveness from his heavenly father, even while he is bearing crosses. This love between child and parents, as described by scripture, is properly ordered because it is preceded by faith and love toward God. And this must be the order of things. As Christian parents, our love for our children must flow from our love for God. And as children, our love for our parents must also flow from our love for God. The fourth commandment, to be sure, being from God has its place, but it must never usurp the first commandment. We are to honor our father and our mother, but we are to fear, love, and trust in God above all things, even our parents and our children. Because when our love for parents or our love for children trumps our love of Christ, then we have taken God's good gift of family and we have turned it into an idol. It is a worshiping of the creation rather than the creator. And if such disordered love of family persists in unrepentance, then it is dangerous to faith, just like any other sort of idolatry. Though children could idolize their parents, or siblings could idolize one another, I do think in our day that this poses its biggest threat to parents. What we find in many cases is that we're too afraid of our children rejecting us if we're faithful to the scriptures. We're afraid that they'll cut us off or even disown us. 
What's worse is when we think we know what's best for our children more than God knows what's best for them. And so it happens that Christian parents watch their children going astray from the truth of God and say nothing, and then we call it love. And this is precisely the sort of thing that Jesus is talking about when he says, whoever loves father or more than me, or whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is becoming clearer and clearer in these dark and evil days in which parents of churches that claim at least to be Christian refuse to speak the truth about godly marriage to their children who are carnally attracted to the same sex, or when Christian parents again won't tell their pregnant daughter that the abortion she is seeking is a violation of the fifth commandment. But the problem, though it seems to be magnified in these days, is not by any means new. The stakes are just higher, or they at least appear to be so. The problem was there when Christian parents refused to insist that their children get married before moving in with their boyfriend or girlfriend. And it was there when we let our children join sports leagues that demanded violations of the third commandment with their Sunday morning games. And it was there when Sunday morning leisure was more important than church. And it was there when watching TV every evening replaced reading the Bible in the home. Jesus says, he who is faithful in a little is faithful in much, and he who is unfaithful in a little is unfaithful in much. If Christian parents couldn't say no to their children in something as insignificant as Sunday athletics, then we shouldn't be surprised that we are also having difficulty confessing the scriptural truth to them about sexually sinful lifestyles. And when we fail to do this, when we fail to confess the truth of God to our children, it exposes to us that we love our children more than we love Christ, that we are making an idol of them. And what's more is that this is not even true love. True love for our children is to speak the truth of the word of God to them even when it's hard even when we fear that they might reject us or abandon us, because true love for our children means bringing them up in the knowledge of the truth of salvation through Christ alone. And I do not mean that you should be harsh or brash about this when you speak to your children so as to provoke them to wrath. Rather, do it gently so as to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so the sermon today, like Jesus' words which we heard in Matthew 10, is meant to strengthen and encourage you in your life as Christian parents. It is meant for you parents who even now are experiencing the sword of Christ's truth that cuts through family lines, whose children are straying from the faith and perhaps even straying away from you because you speak the truth of Christ to them. It is meant to strengthen you parents of young children who are not going through this yet, but may very well endure this in the future, 
and it is meant to strengthen you parents who have thus far struggled to confess Christ's truth to your children. It is clear from scripture, we are to love the Lord our God alone, and him only we are to serve. And as we heard last week, do not fear those who kill the body only, but fear God who can kill body and soul in hell. But I do not mean only to strengthen you, but also to comfort you. It is possible, perhaps, by God's grace, it is certainly possible, that speaking the truth of Christ to wandering children will bring about repentance and rejoicing. But though it is possible, it is probable that in many cases it will not. Still, there is comfort from the word of God, though it will not completely console us on this side of glory. To suffer in this way, the ripping apart of families, is a cross, and it is given by our Lord himself. He's not ignorant of it. It is a cross given by him. Through this, he teaches us to trust in him alone, and he teaches us to live by faith, knowing that nothing in this world, even our families, have the ability to bring us into salvation. He strips us through these crosses of our trust and our worship of earthly things, even our children, that we might fear him above all else, because it is only Christ's work that forgives our sins and saves us. Should God ordain this sort of suffering for you, he is conforming you to the image of his son. And that image is cruciform. It is suffering and dying. In this way, you bear in your own life the image of the death of Jesus. And this is a good thing, even though it is painful. For Paul proclaims to the Romans that those who suffer with Christ are also glorified with Christ. That is to say, as Jesus puts it in the gospel for today, that he who loses his life will find it. He who loses those things which seem precious to his flesh in this life, even if it be his children, this one will find his true life, that is, his eternal life in Christ. And we have the comfort that Christ himself also suffers in this very way, in his own earthly household. His earthly brothers in his own household mock him and they reject him. He knows the pain of being rejected by those of his household because he dares to speak the truth about himself. And in a sense, he has it even worse. For our Lord died for their sins and yet they reject him. But Christ makes you like him in this sort of suffering, precisely to make you like him in his glory. For just as Christ's sufferings gave way to the glory of his resurrection, his ascension, and his seating at the right hand of the Father, so it will be for you who are in Christ, even should you suffer loss of those in your home for your faith.
by his death and resurrection, Christ has driven a sword between you and your sin, death, the devil, and the world. And so as long as we are in the flesh, that separation from these things is ongoing, and it will hurt because swords hurt. But remember, weeping may tarry for the night of this life, but joy comes in the morning of the resurrection and the new creation. For in the new creation, Christ will not only raise us up, but he will knit all of us, his faithful Christians, into the one true family, the family formed from the side of Christ, the family united by the most precious blood, namely the blood of Christ. And in the resurrection, we will be knitted into a family for eternity. It will never split apart. The sword of Christ's truth will never cut through it. But we will be with one another in perfect family, in perfect unity for eternity, most importantly, in the presence of God as our Father. In this life, if you suffer in the way I described, it will seem lonely. It will seem as though there is no one who understands your suffering and that everyone is against you, even those of your own household. But I am confident that the sufferings of this present age will not compare with the glory that is to be revealed, the glory that is most certainly yours for the sake of Christ's sufferings and death for you. It is as Luther sings in a mighty fortress, and take they, that is, the enemies of Christ, and take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone, they yet have nothing won, the kingdom ours remaineth. The kingdom yours remaineth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.